0: Hey everyone, it's Blake. Welcome to today's episode of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, we welcome in Chris Van Vliet, who is someone who, if you're a wrestling fan and you listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts, you've probably heard the Chris Van Vliet show at some point or another. If you haven't, you definitely should because uh, Chris does a fantastic job interviewing wrestlers and so we talked a bit about that where the idea came for him just to be able to go into this and say, hey, I want to just go around interviewing wrestlers, uh, how he got started uh, in doing that, and just his professional wrestling fandom, uh, what he grew up with, what are some of his favorite matches that stand out uh, from his professional wrestling fandom, uh, what were the things that really caught his eye uh, growing up and watching professional wrestling, and some of his most recent interviews that he's had with the likes of Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, Jazz, and the one that he has coming up with Dominic Mysterio. So a great conversation with Chris. We touched on a lot of different things, including uh, the state of professional wrestling right now and uh, what has been a certainly unique year and where things are in professional wrestling, what are some of the things that stand out uh, with the current products that that are going on in wrestling. And so it really was a great in-depth conversation uh, with Chris on lots of things pro wrestling. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Chris Van Vliet. All right, everyone, as promised, uh, our guest today is Chris VanVleet. And, Chris, I'm going to open up with this. Uh, I found out something about you on Twitter, and I know that's always a dangerous statement with Twitter these days, Uh but I found out something about you on October the 1st when I was scrolling through your Twitter account, and uh, you had a flashback to 2015, five years ago, when you were awarded the best newscaster hair in Florida, and (laughs) you had to remember this on National Hair Day. I just wanted to say, now, look, I don't... I don't watch a lot of newscasts in Florida because I don't live there, but I am confident in saying I think you'd still be top five even if you were there right now doing this. So
1: wow, well, thank you, Blake. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was, I was. It's this weird thing called the Harry Awards, and it's a website that like gives these out for literally every state, and there's like a winner and a runner-up in every state. So I they named me the winner in 2015 and then the runner up in 2018. And then I was nowhere to be found on the list. Any other year?
0: Well, that's all right. Well, we might take a, We might talk about some hair along the way here. Uh, we are going to talk wrestling. So you kind of have to talk about hair probably at some point, but uh, let's, let's talk about some wrestling because uh, obviously we have that in common and uh, you have a great show, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Um, everybody's got a story when it comes to wrestling, how they got into it. And I always find that very fascinating. Like, cause You know, we all sometimes, even if we grow up in the same era, like there are always things that are different about kind of, okay, well, that really brought me into wrestling or that really kept me into wrestling. I got asked, so what's your story? What kind of brought you in and what kind of gave you that first hook uh, into pro wrestling?
1: First of all, Blake, thank you for having me on the show. So I really appreciate you inviting me on. It's always great to talk about wrestling. (laughs) For me, like wrestling was always something I was aware of growing up. You know, I'm I'm a kid of the 80s. So I would go to like my grandparents' house and it would just be on like sports was always on there. So whether it was baseball or hockey growing up in Canada, a lot of hockey on TV. So if that wasn't on, my grandpa would just put wrestling on and I wasn't like a huge fan and neither was my grandpa, but you know, it was just something entertaining to watch, but I was sucked right in to the larger than life personas. This was Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, repo man, (laughs) Coco beware. And, you know, I was just kind of aware of it. And then in high school, we're talking, you know, six or seven years later, I was on the high school wrestling team. And when you're on the high school wrestling team, when you do amateur wrestling, you know, you're kind of told like that, that pro wrestling stuff, you know, that that stuff's (laughs) fake. You, You know, you can't be paying attention to that. But I had a really good friend of mine who was a diehard WWF fan at the time. And, you know, back in the 90s, when you kept in touch with a friend, you did this crazy thing called talking on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew that every Monday night we could talk on the phone till nine o'clock because that's when Raw came on. And then I remember one night I was like, let's just keep talking here. I'll turn on the TV and, you know, we can talk about what we see. And I I was just blown away. I hadn't watched in a while and I was like, this is this is incredible. And it was Austin McMahon was the big storyline. And I was all in. And when I when I like something, when I'm passionate about something, I go all the way in on it. I'm 110% in. So it was very quickly, just kind of like that. I was it was raw and nitro. And I was watching ECW and I was watching, you know, all the other WWE stuff that they had, which was jacked and metal and yeah. Sunday Night Heat. And, you know, it didn't take long before I was part of a backyard wrestling federation with my friends. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, there you go. I think that's that's kind of a lot of I'd say we all have a lot of similarities in that because it's like you said it's sort of you know, you grow up and you you have that part that hooks you and then it's just from there you just take off. You're on you're on AOL instant messenger, you're on AIM all the time just sending messages to friends and um, like you said, you're, you're watching, you know, talking to him on the phone during the, the, the weekly shows. And then you have the, the backyard fed and you have the e-feds online. <laughs> like, man, it was just, we probably grew up around the same time and the same stuff that got us hooked. But obviously the attitude area was something, you know, that, that was such a huge part of that because everyone now, it's so interesting to me. Everyone now like tries to compare it to the attitude area. And I'm just always like. There's nothing wrong with what's going on now, but it's just it's so hard to compare to then, just because it was so different in terms of just the overall landscape of things.
1: Well, just so different, I think, because uh, you know you have so many options now. Yeah. You know, you you don't need to watch Raw Live or SmackDown Live or Dynamite Live at all. In fact, you probably don't even really need to watch the TV show because you're going to know everything that happens if you just look on your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed, and that's completely changed because. When we were growing up during the Attitude Era, if you didn't watch RAW live when it happened on Monday night, you didn't watch it. You know that was <laughs> it. You know, you you could read a recap the next day on you know some of the early websites, but or dirt sheets. But yeah. yeah, if you didn't watch it, you didn't see it.
0: Yeah, no, that was the way it was. And like you said, it's it's now, and and that's something I think about all the time too. Is you know, in in this, obviously, I I cover as much as I can, and, and we all do. It's just. Man, you think about the hours each week. It's a ton. And, you know, like we oh, said, yeah. if, if we didn't love this, we, we still wouldn't be following it because, man, it it can be hard for someone. If you don't love wrestling, Like like you said, with all the options – and especially just keeping up with with the main, you know, promotions and such, there's a lot of hours to go into watching that each week, but we're still here, we still love it, and uh, of course that's why we do. But, um, <laughs> alright, as you look back, uh, is there any, I don't know, any, I mean, I guess like we were talking about the Attitude Era and such, but uh, any particular matches, moments, anything that you always think back of fondly and say, man... That's just something that I cannot get out of my brain because, I mean, for, for people like us who have watched so many, too much wrestling, and I know a lot of people listening have as well, there are just some things that stick with you uh, as you go back, and uh, is there anything in particular, a couple things that you think back on and like, man, those were the it things that still stand out to me today. I could watch it over and over and over.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a ton, uh, but for me, the match that means so much to me is Rock, Hogan, WrestleMania yeah. 18. I, I was there, you know. Right. That was in Toronto. That was the first WrestleMania that I ever attended, and I didn't know what to expect. I just knew it would be big, but that crowd reaction—I mean—it still gives me goosebumps. Like to talk about it now, 18 years later. Um, so that's definitely one, and I think that we miss that one even more so now, where we're watching these shows with no crowds or limited crowds because. The wrestling in that match was fine, was fine. The storytelling in that match was incredible, but the crowd was the real star of that match, and yeah. I think that we miss it so much now because, you know, we're we're seeing some fairly quiet matches now. Uh, I became a really big TNA fan in the mid-2000s, and I, I was so blown away by, it was Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, and Christopher Daniels, yeah. the the three-way match, and... That was really what got me like sucked in to TNA and I remember buying like the AJ Styles best of DVD (laughs) and yeah, so I think it was like it was that type of match because I always loved the fast paced high flying matches and seeing that I was like this is incredible like three guys with three very different looks three very different builds. Who are all able to do this stuff and that was what really got me into TNA and I think for a lot of people the X division got them into TNA so just off the top of my head those are two matches that like immediately stand out I could watch those all day every day
0: (laughs) what I love about that is they're so different like they're they're yes. so different in yeah. terms of what they are, and I think that's that's very interesting just because you know that that kind of shows you I think the the broad nature of wrestling and and what people enjoy is that there's you know there's something for everyone, and I always say that especially now like there you can get a little bit of everything probably in most of the shows that you watch and you're gonna find something different. You may have some of the fast-paced stuff. You may have some of the more storyline-driven stuff. There's just there's so many different options, and it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the Rock Hogan match. And I think it was Miro. He was on a, a recent episode. I, I want to say, of course, he was on your show too. But he was also on AW Unrestricted recently, and he brought up, and and I think he said this before that that to him is his favorite match of all time. And the reason is sort of one of the things that you said in that. It was a match where you went in thinking one thing, and then by the yeah. end of the match, it was completely different, and it was all based on two things. It was based on the crowd reaction, and it was based on how the performers reacted to the crowd, and so I, I never, it never surprised me when people bring that up. It's like that it match that always stands out because it really is. like It's one of those that you think back on, and... I don't know that there's really ever been anything else like it, just in terms of the atmosphere and really just where things went from when that bell rang from the beginning to when the bell rang at the end.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I've, I've, you know, had the honor of sitting down with both the rock and Hulk Hogan and I've told them both, like, that's my favorite match of all time. And I feel like it opens up this like really interesting conversation. Like, for Rock, he was just like, oh, yeah. Like, I remember the first time I told him that. He goes, hey, who, who are you cheering for? <laughs> I'm like, um, I was cheering for Hogan. He's like, huh, yeah. me too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I told that same thing to, to Hogan. I said, you know, that's my favorite match of all time. And I was actually, I had him sign the poster that I got from WrestleMania 18. And I said, I've always wondered, did you know that the NWO was going to turn on you? And he goes, I had no idea, brother. <laughs> I, I had no idea, brother. Right. Uh, he said that Mike Kyoto just told him to stay in the ring, which he thought was weird because Rock had won the match. So he just kind of stayed in the ring and then kind of out of nowhere, completely unplanned, that's when Nash and Hall came out and beat him up and ended the NWO. And that, all, like, that was a complete audible. Vince just saw the reaction that Hogan was getting and said, let's capitalize on this. And then uh, Hogan t- told me that Vince wanted him to wear the red and yellow that week, but he didn't have any because they were in Toronto. So Vince lent him his private jet to fly to Tampa to find a box of his red and yellow uh, gear to hope that it fit to then fly back, uh, you know, to be on the next show. And I'm like, that's that's an insane story. <laughs> and unfortunately, the camera wasn't rolling because we were just kind of like talking. I was like, this this story is incredible. Yeah,
0: no, that that's, fa- that's so fantastic. And like you said, it's just... I don't know, man. That That's one, too, that I always think back on. I'm like, man, I can remember what I was doing. Like, I can remember watching it, and it's just, you know, yeah. it's kind of those, you remember where you were type things, and you remember what you were doing, and you know, you have a lot of those. And, I mean, WrestleMania 17, like, that was one for me. I could probably recite the beginning to end of that show uh, as many <laughs> times, just because I've watched it so many times. But, yeah, I think that's something where, man, that match was just uh, so fascinating. And, and you talk about, like, the crowd reaction, too, and you know, I think that's something, especially nowadays, obviously in the social media era and such, uh, there, there can be lots of reactions when it comes to, well, this company's not listening to the crowd and they're not pushing this guy and, and so and so. And I think we saw that maybe the biggest example was probably Daniel Bryan, I would say, uh, I guess, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, that, the, maybe the most recent one. And then even, I mean, I guess, honestly, like you could take it as far as Roman Reigns, I guess, recently, just in terms of making the switch that, that he's made. But I, I always <laughs> find that interesting. It only took five right? years. Yeah, right. It only <laughs> took five years. But uh, I do think that's something where... I can see the perspective there in terms of uh, maybe when you look back then uh, to where you kind of had that reaction and it seemed to push certain things a a different way. And nowadays maybe with certain companies and I'm look, I'm not going to be somebody that's going to just throw WWE under the bus or anything like that. But uh, you do see a lot of those reactions uh, just because of, you know, are they listening to the crowd and all that? Of course, it's hard to create that unique moment that you created uh, at that particular match, but uh, that is something that's brought up a lot, I think.
1: Well, unfortunately, I think wrestling is suffering more than any other sport with not having a crowd there because, right. you know, the the crowd is a character. You know, the crowd, as you mentioned, can make or break someone. Uh, you know, I think another great example is Fandango. Yeah. His theme song got him over. And, I, and if that was playing in an empty arena, you know, it would have been completely forgettable. Yeah. But, you know, the crowd singing along and dancing along to it changed everything. And I think that. It's tough right now because if if you watch a football game, that football game is going to be played, you know, relatively the same, whether there's a crowd there or not. I, you know, maybe it'll hype them up a little bit more. Maybe you have that home team advantage and, you know, in some stadiums, the home, uh, the crowd's going to, you know, be really loud on the defense. I get that. But in wrestling, it can like literally change a character. Uh, it can change uh, It can change the course of a match. And I think that that's what's really missing. And I'm glad to see AEW has brought back, uh, you know, a small section of the crowd. I, I think that WWE is likely going to be doing that soon. So, look, I think that that's a really big thing that's missing from this weird era <laughs> that we're in right now. And you know, we're going to look back on this in five and ten years, and it's kind of going to have an asterisk next to it. I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I think like you said, it's just it's such a big part and you know, you can only you only pipe in so much crowd noise that uh, feels authentic. Even, even someone you mentioned the theme song, like someone like, like Robert Roode and of course when he was in NXT and you have the, the glorious theme and all that and it's just you know, you get all those things and, and really even Jericho, like like think about Jericho right now in AEW and, and his interest music, like every time out and like that's the one thing and I always think like that's gonna be the biggest pop when you get that full crowd back and you've got yeah. however many thousand people Singing, um, you know, Jericho's entrance song. I, I just think that's something that's certainly going to be uh, quite quite a spectacle once you uh, get a full building pack with that. But speaking of that, what, what, what are you enjoying right now? Because uh, I know, you know, even let's we could even keep it on AEW because we think about it now. It's hard to believe that uh, we're almost to the, the the anniversary show of Dynamite here, and it's been around that long, and of course, uh, I guess even a year ago now, SmackDown started on Fox, and things kind of took off from there in terms of uh, everything that's happened over the past year, but uh, what have you thought just of maybe this entire dynamic for AEW since not only they've started, but really just you know doing a weekly show, because I think back now, and It was so interesting to to think about everybody's expectations and saying, okay, well, they started and then you had NXT switch and now they're going head to head. But to me, you know, it still feels like both of them at this point are stronger than ever. And really for AEW, I mean, you look at the numbers they're doing, you look at the just what they've been able to do over this past year. uh, I think it's been pretty incredible.
1: I just think the rising tides lift all ships. And, uh, you know, it's a very different landscape. As we sit here in October of 2020, obviously, you know, with COVID, but I just mean in the wrestling world, too, such a different landscape than it was a year ago or definitely a year and a half ago. I think that, you know, whether you like AEW or you like WWE or you like Impact, New Japan, MLW, whatever, whatever you like, I think that AEW coming in and giving wrestlers an option and giving the crowd an option has just changed the landscape for everyone. So I think that we're seeing stronger storylines. I think we're seeing stronger matches. I just think across the board, it's just a, it's just a great time for everybody. You know, wrestlers have options to make more money. Fans have options of what they want to watch. And I just think it's, it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, it is for sure, and it's just something, like you said, where having options is a good thing, and especially in this landscape, because things are so different, as we said, where everyone's basically having to watch, the majority of people are having to watch from home now, and they're not at the shows live, and uh, it's just it's such a different uh, dynamic for sure in terms of uh, everything going on. But uh, we flip that now to to you for a minute, and I know we don't, you know, you don't like to talk about yourself and all that, but we got to do it for a minute, Chris. We got to talk about your show <laughs> uh, because obviously, I mean that that's a wrestling conversation in and of itself because you have interviewed so many different wrestlers now, and I know there's been such a wide variety. of of conversations. Uh, I think one of your most recent ones was jazz. Um, I can remember, you know, one watching recently with, with Jake, the snake Roberts. I know that had to be just such an, an, interesting dynamic for, for starters. What, what was behind the decision? And you and I have kind of talked about this a little bit, but just deciding to start your own show and saying, you know what, I'm going to find a way to start this show, and I'm going to go interview some wrestlers, because uh, it's worked out for you, my friend. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, well, thank you. Uh, it kind of happened by accident, if I'm being completely honest. So my background is I'm a TV host, and I'm a TV broadcaster and radio broadcaster. So I've been really fortunate, and you know, most of my career has been spent as an entertainment host. So as an entertainment host and an entertainment reporter, you're interviewing actors and musicians and comedians and every once in a while you get to do something cool like interview a wrestler. <laughs> Not that the other things aren't cool, but like as a wrestling fan, it was kind of my excuse to like hang out with a wrestler. So if we throw this all the way back, it was a show I was hosting in 2007. I was living in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I was hosting a show for MTV Two Canada and we'd done, you know, a bunch of music interviews, a bunch of actor interviews. And I saw that it was ECW with SmackDown was going to be coming to town. And I said to my boss, do you think we could interview a wrestler? She's like, "Yeah, sure. We've interviewed wrestlers before. We had The Rock on years ago." I'm like, "Oh, amazing." So like, I reached out to WWE, like found a contact there and said, "Hey, I, you know, I host this TV show. Is anyone available for press?" And they said, "Yeah, we've got Bobby Lashley coming to town." I'm like, "What? This is amazing." <laughs> oh, i he was the ECW champion at the time. I'm like, I get to talk to Bobby Lashley and like get paid to do this at work. This is incredible. And I just kind of realized that like with the platform of being on TV, you know, they, they would want to promote their stuff. So I just kind of carried that mentality with me to every TV show that I went to in whatever city it was. And eventually I was realizing I'm having these conversations that I I want to like genuinely know the answer to these questions. I'm asking like fan questions, like, and I get that, like, you know, the audience is not exactly, you know, the audience for our typical TV show wasn't exactly a you know, not wrestling audience. So right. I was asking these like in-depth wrestling questions and then I'd throw in like one or two, like, all right, so what can fans expect from the show? Or, you know, like a really basic question yeah. that would appeal to everybody. We were only using like little snippets from these interviews, but we had like 10, 15, 20 minute interviews where I was asking all these like in-depth questions. And I thought like, these interviews have to live somewhere like they couldn't just exist in that moment and then no one ever sees them again. So I just started uploading them to a YouTube channel just so that they would have somewhere to live so that, you know, a handful of other fans could go, Oh, that was cool. Like I had no idea about that. And that was honestly how it started. I, um, I put a few of these up in like two thousand. Ten, But then I started the YouTube channel I have now in 2011 and it was just kind of like whenever I got these interviews or whenever I got interesting celebrity interviews, I just put them up and you know, I, I just realized that there was there was an audience there and I was continuing to do these just kind of whenever people were in town. And then I thought like a few years ago, I thought, well, I'm already going to WrestleMania like why don't I start doing some interviews there and that's really where this whole thing started. I started doing a couple of interviews at access and uploading them to my YouTube channel. And in 2018, I went, what if I actually put some work into this? Like, what <laughs> if I, what if I, instead of just doing these by accident, uh, what if I actually started going out of my way to do these? Like what if there was a wrestler at a local independent show? What if I could get that interview? And I made the goal in that year that I wanted to do 40 interviews, which was a ton because at that point I think I had uploaded like 18 wrestling interviews in a year was like the most I'd ever done. Yeah. So 2018, I did 40. Then in 2019, I said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna up the ante here. I want to do 50, which will be like one a week, which is a ton. I ended up doing 100 last year. <laughs> um, so it it just kind of happened organically, and uh, it's very kind of you to say you know those nice things about the show, but. It's just honestly come from a place of, I enjoy having interesting conversations with interesting people.
0: Yeah. And I think that authenticity is like that. To me, that's the thing. Of course, you know, as you do, I'm sure as well. Like you, there's so many different options out there to listen to podcasts. And I think the stuff that, that really grabs your attention is the stuff like you said is, you're ask. You're actually wanting to know the answers. Like you have all this vested interest in. Like I want to know what you know. Paul Hogan thought of this spot in 1992, or it's like something like that. Like it's just all this random stuff. But it's it's stuff for a wrestling fan. I think that is very interesting. And this is the stuff that we hang on uh, for years and years and years. So I think that is something that stands out. And you did bring up something else too. I was going to ask because you talk about sort of the, the organically having this show happen, but I also think that independent wrestling part of the equation to me is always interesting because, you know, you, like you've said, you've interviewed a lot of these people from from the indie circuit, and I, I think of this, and it's like, you know, the the ones that grab the people's attention are going to be, you know, the top stars now and all that, but I always find the conversations with the, the independent wrestlers and such, they're always a lot more... I don't know. And this is not to knock anyone else, like even at that top level. But you think about it like these are people that are starting at that level, knowing that at some day, maybe five years, 10 years down the road, they're going to be the people at the top. And so I think getting them at the very beginning of kind of their journey I always think that's such an interesting discussion because now, you know, for someone like you, you could look back five years from now and and say wrestler A or wrestler B is, you know, at the top of AEW or WWE or whatever. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when I interviewed him and he was doing this, you know, indie show for 500 people. I just think that that's such a a great part of wrestling just to be able to, to connect with the independent circuit people as well. Because remember, they're the ones and even the ones at the top now. Right. That's where they started. So.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, like, wrestling is so grassroots, like yeah. so much more so than any other form of sports, really any other form of entertainment. I mean, I suppose you could go to your local Playhouse and interview, you know, some up-and-coming actors there you could and you know, they might be the next Tom Cruise or Sandra Bullock or something like that Um, But yeah, I just feel like there's a ton of accessibility in wrestling and especially in independent wrestling And if anyone listening to this is looking to start their own podcast This is the advice that I tell everyone if you want to do interviews go to your local wrestling school or your local wrestling show And just ask if you can do interviews start somewhere. I mean your first 100 interviews are going to be terrible anyway. So you might as well just start getting them out of the way now. So I just think it's important to just start having those conversations and start using the resources that you have in front of
0: you. No, yeah. if you do it now, wear a mask. Uh, be sure to do that. So uh, <laughs> don't, don't forget that aspect of it. But uh, yes, no, no, I agree. And like you said, it's I just find that that trajectory, I think, of a lot of people's career, it's always fun to look back at where they started and such. But Speaking of which, uh, I know this is impossible to do, but I'm going to ask you the question anyways. Um, I know it's hard to pick out one moment, two moments, three moments, four moments, five moments, whatever. But uh, as you think back, maybe even to those those early days, like some of those maybe moments that you think, you know what? Like, this is this is what I should be doing. Like you mentioned kind of, you know, the beginning and the start when everything started. But any of those early interviews you think back on are like, man, just I really learned this or there was something uh, that really stood out to me with this person or that person. Just anything that maybe stood out from the early part of doing these interviews.
1: I think one of the really big lessons I learned early on as I was really trained to do these five, 10 minute television interviews And I think I realized, like, as the conversation started to go longer, the people usually started to get a little bit more comfortable. Uh, and they would, they would open up a little bit more. So that was a lesson I learned actually relatively recently, like as recently as two or three years ago. Like, just keep going. Like, it's a conversation. <laughs> I think that's a big thing to, you know, understand, too. It's not about, like, asking a question and waiting for an answer. It's about, you know, two people sharing a conversation. So I think that was it. I think another lesson I learned early on was just to like swing for the fences. If there's a question that I wanted to know the answer to, or there's a topic that I wanted to bring up, I would just bring it up. And if it didn't go well, I would just edit that out and nobody would know that it happened or went bad, which, you know, fortunately hasn't happened, (laughs) but nobody would know other than me and that person and, you know, whoever else happened to be in the room. So I think that that was another thing is like, if there's a touchy subject or, uh, you know, something that might might not be received that well find a nice respectful way to bring it up and just go for it and I think that that was I mean even, I, I think one of the moments I had was like with Ben Affleck who you know obviously has a, a very guarded personal life but I, I was very interested to know like he was being called Batfleck for the longest time remember <laughs> right. it <was> Ben. A- <laughs> he was Batman but he was Ben Affleck and I wanted to like ask him that I'm like well with with great respect what do you think of like this term bat flick and i i honestly <laughs> thought like the publicist might jump in and be like all right let's you know let's keep it to the movie or like you know this question's stupid and he was like he gave me like an, a legit answer which ended up being like this viral moment and i'm just like oh okay like if, if you if you ask a question in the right way you can get a good answer and i think that the the phrase that, st- that sticks in my mind is your life is about the quality of the questions that you ask. Yeah. And and I think that it's so true. It, you, you know, your life is the quality of the questions that you ask. So if you're not, you know, getting great answers, well, start asking better questions.
0: Yep. There you go. And uh, to, to kind of bring it full circle here. I mentioned the, the Jake Roberts interview earlier and we we talked about sort of that journey for a wrestler, and, and there's probably no one that's had a journey like him. What was that like to talk to him? Because again, we we mentioned it. Just that part of the journey. I mean, this is a guy that, as we know, has experienced a little bit of everything along the way. And now to see him back in AEW um, doing what he's doing, I think a lot of us could sit here and say we never, ever, probably in a million years, five years ago, 10 years ago, thought that this would be happening for him. Uh, But I know that had to be a pretty fascinating conversation.
1: Well, I think that Jake will tell you or DDP will tell you that they probably both didn't think he would still be alive, yeah. you know, with the path that he was going down. So it was such an honor and I was so grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that interview with him. But I mean, let's be honest, he's Jake the Snake. He's one of the greatest promo guys in the history of the business. I didn't need to be there. You know. I could have just like handed him a mic and said, all right, we're going to hit record now. And he would have just told great stories for half an hour. So to be able to kind of like sit under the learning tree and just hear him tell the stories that he told, that was, that was a really, really cool moment, especially because, you know, that was someone, he was one of the first wrestlers I ever, you know, was exposed to in, in the late eighties. So to be able to, you know, here we are 30 plus years later to be able to sit next to him and actually share a conversation with him. <laughs> that, was, that was really cool.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about one of your most recent ones here, too, and then we're going to talk about the one you have uh, coming up here, and we'll, we'll promote that one as well. Uh, you talked to Jazz, and, you know, again, we, we go back to an earlier part of our conversation here, and she was put in that position of having to be in a match that followed uh, what, uh, as we talked about, uh, perhaps the, the greatest match ever in terms of uh, the atmosphere and such with Rock and Hogan. But uh, Jazz is someone, too, that, that I think back to that era um, you know, that that early, I guess, early two thousands, kind of in that range. Um, she was someone to where you you sort of think about her and if she was maybe today kind of in that position to where it's the same sort of landscape and we, we think about really just how far women's wrestling's come or how much how much better it's been promoted over the years. My goodness, like she was a talent, she still is a talent, but uh I know that that had to be a, a pretty interesting conversation as well, because she's someone that I think still you kind of look back at her career, and my goodness, I mean, she she's very talented, though. We know that for sure.
1: Oh, she was so, so ahead of her time. And, oh. you know, like you said, unfortunately, women's wrestling wasn't getting the spotlight in, you know, the early 2000s that it's getting now. And, you know, the, the spotlight was being shone on Trish Stratus and Tori Wilson and... Stacey Keebler, you know, those types. And Jazz was actually getting in trouble for wrestling too much like a man. Vince got mad at her for wrestling too much like a man. Well, watch any match now and, you know, the women wrestle just like the men now. And that's that's what's completely what's expected. So I think a lot of what you see in the ring now is because of trailblazers, because of pioneers like Jazz who went in and said, this is the way I'm going to do it, whether you like it or not. This is how I wrestle.
0: Yeah, man I just man I think back to that and you could even go back now and watch some of her matches and you're like oh my goodness like put put her in the ring now like in her prime with um like I said, anyone, like, like you could just pick out some of these top uh, women's wrestlers that you want now. And it would just be, it would be incredible uh, to to watch her for sure with that. And now let's talk about the one you have coming up. Uh, of course, uh, this podcast we're doing is going to come out on Thursday. You're going to have your interview coming out on Thursday with Dominic Mysterio. And uh, there there's another guy, man, it's just think about like all the journeys here, we talk about this and man, just everyone has such a, an interesting story from where they started. And Of course, for Dominic, uh, it was being in a a custody battle with uh, Rey Mysterio (laughs) and Eddie Guerrero. And uh, it's funny, I I think I read an interview uh, earlier this week that he did, and I can't remember who it was with. uh, But he was talking about how difficult it was for him as a kid in school to... Try to convince his teachers that or even some of his friends that Eddie Guerrero was not his father and I just found that <laughs> hilarious when you think about it just I mean you've got this kid and of course he's he's in the ring and you've got this storyline between those two and man that, that's just something that, that I think back to and think look how far he's come now and, and I know uh, you have an interview coming up with him as well.
1: Well, he's such a well-spoken and humble young man, and I mean, when you think about his WWE career so far, I mean, in the ring, not not going back to the Eddie uh, Ray stuff, which was, you know, that's pretty amazing to be able to do that at eight years old. Yeah. But when you think back to uh, back to SummerSlam when he debuted, think about the fact that he debuted. His first match ever was in a WWE ring at SummerSlam and against Seth Rollins. Like that's crazy. Most people wrestle their first 500 matches, you know, in bingo halls and football fields and, you know, all these places where they're figuring stuff out, you know, Dominic is, is on the main roster. This is amazing. So we're going to be able to watch his growth like right before our very eyes for the next five and 10 and 20 years. And he seems to have the right attitude. That's definitely been instilled in him from his father. And he has the right attitude. He wants to learn. And he he was also trained by the best. I mean, obviously trained by his father. But he also went to um, Lance Storm's wrestling school. And you look at everybody who's come out of Lance Storm's wrestling school. And, you know, they're some of the best wrestlers in the world, you know. So I'm just very, very excited to see what ends up happening with him over the next year. And then also over like the next decade.
0: Yeah, no, he's uh he's someone like you said to think about where how he started and in, in the middle of all this and uh, this year as we know has been so different. Uh, yeah, quite, quite a starting point for him uh, but we know he's got he's got some pretty good genes. He may be okay uh, in terms <laughs> of uh, what what he's able to do uh, here moving forward. But Chris man, this was uh this was a lot of fun and uh, I have been wanting to do this for a while like I said. I've followed your show forever and um, it's something where, you know, I get a lot of my wrestling knowledge from you just from from oh, wow. asking good questions. <laughs> Right. And that's what we talk about. Like it's just from from asking good questions. You get the, this this knowledge from wrestlers. And I think that's something that makes this fun. You know what we do. This is what we love and this is uh, what we enjoy doing. And so uh, th- this is a lot of fun. And of course, uh, as we said, you've got the interview coming up with Dominic Mysterio. You've got all your inter- interviews uh, in the archives there that people can go back and listen to. But uh, anything else uh, you have coming up on the way or anything else uh, you want to plug will, of course, uh, include your links to everything in our show notes as well.
1: I just want to thank you, Blake, for, you know, taking the time to have me on the show. So I really appreciate it. You're doing great work. So continue to keep up the good work with what you're doing, not just on this podcast, but, uh, <laughs> you know, on, on on the other stuff that you're doing as well. So, yeah, again, thank you. And anyone can find me online, wherever you're listening to this, you can find my podcast. It's the Chris Van Vleet Show.
0: Be sure to check that out. We'll put links to it and everything uh, that we have here on this episode of the show. Chris, again, man, thank you so much. Uh, keep the hair looking good. And uh, five <laughs> years from now, we're going to get you uh, an award where you uh, have the best hair in wrestling. That's, a, that's our next goal for you. I don't know about that.
1: I mean, <laughs> I don't even think I'm top
0: 100. Yeah, that's all right. We'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Thanks, man.
1: No, thank you.
0: Thanks again to Chris Van Vliet for joining me here on the podcast. And uh, as we mentioned, we'll have all the links to stuff in the show notes. You can check out uh, his work on YouTube, uh, the podcast, on Twitter, at Chris Van Vliet, all that good stuff. And as we continue to mention as well, uh, the GoFundMe for Larry Zonka's family, we'll have the link to that. In the show notes. Uh, so if you're someone who uh, has already contributed, we thank you for that and uh, be sure to continue to share that so that it can reach more people. And we've got a lot of great stuff uh, going on over at 411mania.com. Ian Hamilton, he's got his reviews up uh, for every night of the G1 climax at this point. He'll continue uh, to have those going up here throughout the conclusion. Of the G ones, you can check those out. Uh, my weekly AEW dark review uh, goes up uh, each Tuesday night uh, over at 411mania.com. Jeremy's impact review also, and of course, uh, we have our reviews. Uh, Tony Ocero, uh Kevin, everyone over there who does great work uh, with the weekly stuff that we have going on on the main shows: uh, Raw, SmackDown, AEW Dynamite, you name it, NXT. They're all up over at 411mania.com. So check all those out, uh, and uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, any podcast app that you use, you can find us at Apple Podcast. Spotify, Stitcher. We're on there, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast uh, to catch all the great interviews that we do have coming up. Uh, Everything else uh, that you want, follow 411 on Twitter at 411 Wrestling. You can follow me on Twitter at WrestleBlake. And uh, for everything else, uh, check out 411mania.com. So uh, thanks, as always, for listening to the podcast. Be safe, and we'll talk to you guys next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.